The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hey, Jason. Hey, Joni. Here we are again doing another podcast, except today I am in a third world country. You are like gone somewhere in the jungle, you said. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm in Mexico and um, it's absolutely beautiful down here. Having a great time. And um, I still want to do our podcast and let the public know what's going on in the world. Absolutely. And you realize that you are missing the uber cold weather. And I apologize to anybody listening that is up in Detroit or Montana or Canada. But in Florida, it is uber cold. It is in the 40s and going down into the 30s at night. Unbelievable. I heard it was 41 degrees this morning. I was like, I can't believe it. That's really cold. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we little Floridians are not used to it. So you're down there gallivanting around the nice, warm, and humid jungle (laughs) while we're freezing up here in Florida. It's also interesting how you take for granted all the creature comforts of living in a first world country because it's like, yeah, sure, we have Wi-Fi here, but it's like walk two feet away from the router and you don't have Wi-Fi and you don't have cell signal and it's very spotty. And it makes things a little bit more difficult. It's also the things you take for granted when you're back at home in the States. That's right. So That's right. I was in Nigeria for a while, and actually, we didn't have a blackout. We had a surge on the electrical, and it blew the charge cord from my laptop. Fortunately, the cord wasn't plugged into the laptop at the time, but I had to go search around for a cord for my laptop because that sort of thing happens sometimes in third world countries. It does. It was, yeah. It absolutely does. You never consider that Mexico is that third world, but it absolutely is. Right. It might be second world. Are you sure it's third world? I could be wrong. I looked up these one time. A lot of Mexican people, if it's not. Um. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going to say right now it might be second world countries. You know, we don't talk so much about second world. Mm -hmm. Really, the only term we usually use is third world. Right. But right now, I'm in an area of like ruins from the Mayans. Well, let's just say you're in an area that has bad Wi-Fi. Bad okay? Wi-Fi, bad <laughs> signal. So what are we doing today? Okay, so today I'm kind of excited because today we're going to do an interview. We're going to interview Sheriff Bob Gualteri. And Sheriff Gualteri is the Pinellas County Sheriff. He was appointed in 2011, and then he was elected and then in 2012, and then re-elected in 2016. And he started his career in law enforcement as a detention deputy working in the Pinellas County Jail. He then uh, was in a local police force and then went back to the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. But over the next 15 years, he served in many different components of the agency. And get this, including several years conducting domestic and international drug trafficking investigations as part of a DEA task force. Wow. So he's perfect for us. So the man, exactly. So he's definitely got some, I'm sure he's got some input. He's active in a lot of community organizations. He's gotten a lot of awards and um, I'm going to get him on the phone now so that we can talk to him. All right, let's do it. So thank you, Sheriff Galtieri, for being on the podcast with us today and happy new year. Thanks, Andy. What? We've we've covered a lot of different things on the podcast in terms of addiction. Um, one of the things that we've covered over and over again, and I, I'd like to get your input on this, is that, you know, there's a concept of drug addicts that 
means the the homeless guy or the dirty guy down on the street corner or in the alley shooting up. And that's just not the case anymore. What are you seeing from from the law enforcement perspective in terms of different demographics um, being addicted? Well, it's absolutely not the case. Um, And I'd say that it hit its peak uh, with that not being the case probably around 2009, 10, 11, when the whole dynamic of the drug addict changed due to the prescription drug abuse epidemic. You know, before it was the stereotypical situation where people got addicted and they had to go to the street uh, to get their drugs. And when the prescription drug abuse epidemic hit, is that it changed because you went to Walgreens, CVS, Publix, or wherever you, there was a pharmacy. And it also changed when the doctors uh, were prescribing, and in many cases over-prescribing, and people who were, like the rest of us, uh, got addicted and hooked on these drugs, like the oxycodone, oxycodone, and these synthetic opioids. So when that happened, right. is that it wasn't limited to the, the usual lower socioeconomic areas. It was people who were 18 and 80, people who were white, black, Asian, males, females, different age groups, it didn't matter. So in this county, it wasn't. It was didn't matter if you lived in East Lake or Tierra Verde, or you lived in you know, lower socioeconomic area. Everybody's hit by it. So that's what changed it dramatically. We still see it today uh, because of the dynamic being changed and more people being addicted. Right. Have you seen now? A part of that whole situation, I think, with the painkillers and such, were the pill mills that were in the state. Did you see a difference when a lot of those pill mills were shut down? Well, to a degree, yes. You know, the pill mills, uh, frankly, attracted more of kind of the traditional drug dealer because, or drug user, the, really the drug user and, and the addict, uh, because the, the pill mills, what the pill mills were, were uh, people who were supposed uh, medical professionals who were really just drug dealers wearing white coats who set up these medical practices that didn't practice any medicine, you just line up and they'd line up 50, 100 people outside. You go in, you pay 200 bucks and you get a prescription. So, you know, that was, and it was easier uh, to do that than it is to do it the traditional way, which is to go find your local dope dealer who's hanging out on the street corner and all the risks that go with that. And when you want a significant quantities, you just paid more for prescriptions or you hired people uh, to stand in those lines, and then they'd go in and they'd get a prescription for 200 oxy, and they take 10, you get 190, and then you turn around and you sell them for $25 a pill. So, it, it you know, the, the dynamic change, but the pill mills in the prescription drug abuse epidemic now has subsided uh, considerably, it's been beaten back. So, the addiction problem hadn't gone away. Uh, it's just now we're back to, instead of synthetic opioids, we have real opi- opioids and we have and heroin's back. So you know, as, as long as there's an addiction problem, you're going to have the demand. As long as you have the demand, you're going to have the supply, and this will just keep going forever until we do something more about addiction. Absolutely. Right. I, have a question. And so you- I have a question, actually, for the sheriff. Based on that, now that heroin has made a full force comeback, now that the uh, prescription opioids are a bit harder to come by, have we been seeing any spikes in the um, existence of fentanyl in Pinellas County? 
Yeah, it, it, yes, is the answer to that. And, and the reason why is very simple, is is that uh, they're using, the, the drug dealers are using fentanyl uh, to cut the heroin. And the reason for it is, is that fentanyl is cheaper and it is a cleaner high and it's more potent. So if you've got, uh, you know, it depends upon where you are, just use it as a round number. Uh, a kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds of heroin, you're going to pay somewhere fifty, sixty thousand dollars for that kilogram. Well, you can get a kilogram of fentanyl for like five thousand dollars, and it's a cleaner high. So you're going to take the cheaper stuff, you're going to mix it with the heroin, sell it as heroin, and people are going to like your product better because it provides a cleaner high, and you're making more money. The problem with it is, is the fentanyl is so much more potent, potent that a small, small amount kills people. And this is why we're finding so many people died and so many people uh, literally on the floors of their home or uh, on the street or wherever it is that they're they're shooting up with a needle in their arm and they're dead. Mm -hmm. And the reason for it is is because they think they're taking heroin, but it's not heroin, it's fentanyl. They know how to take the heroin. They know how to manage the heroin. They know how to take it without killing themselves and overdosing. But when it's fentanyl that's cut, the heroin, they think that they're getting something they know, they die. <laughs> so that's the problem. Yeah. And um, wow. a question that I had additional in, in addendum to that is how much Narcan is Reynolds County Sheriff's Office going through because of the existence of fentanyl? Well, we don't go through that much of it because we have a very, very robust uh, EMS system here in Pinellas County. And I can tell you that EMS, though, is administering uh, you know, a lot of Narcan on the street. And, you know, we don't administer that much because EMS has such a, a rapid response time here. Law enforcement does have Narcan, uh, and Narcan is but the only thing that's effective at reversing the effects of the uh, uh, opioid, opioid overdose, the, the fentanyl. But uh, so they, they use it a lot, <laughs> a lot, way too much. Wow. Yeah. Are there... And in have there, what are you seeing in terms of trend? Is like there is the trend of overdoses? Is it going up, going down? Does it stay pretty steady, just with the different drugs that come on the market? Well, I think it. I, it well, I, I think again that we saw uh, a dynamic change uh, in that two thousand, you know, nine, ten, eleven uh, time frame. And I think to a, to a degree. Um, stands today because you have um, people that have found that they, and especially when oxycotton, oxycodone, and the other synthetic opioids really came on the market, uh, you saw a whole, again, new group of people that got addicted because doctors were prescribing these for legitimate pain, for legitimate problems. The problem is, is that they weren't used properly or that they were overused and people are getting in large quantities, they got addicted. So the, I, I think that the, the, the number of addicts increased, but this is nothing new. You know, it, 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 it dismays me quite honestly when people say, oh my God, we've got a, a heroin problem. We've got a fentanyl problem. We've got an opioid problem. Well, no kidding. This is no different. This is, you look back, look back at the seventies. What did we have in the seventies? We had a heroin problem. Then we had a powder cocaine problem. Then we had a crack cocaine problem. And then we had... LSD. See, this is all a cycle. 
this is a, we have a drug, a problem. drug problem, and it's about addiction. Exactly. Unless you do something about right. addiction, so the, the, they are generally the number of addicts is going to remain the same. So when when everybody did the oh my god, we got a problem, we need to do something about the pill mills, that's because it was so prevalent and people were dying, and so we pushed back and we through enforcement were able to shut these down. All we did is squeeze the balloon and displace the problem, and we pushed it back to. The, the real opioids and back to heroin again. And and the only reason why everybody's having uh, the heightened concern that they do today is because somebody now in, in, introduced fentanyl into the mix. If it was just the heroin right. and it was all these people using heroin and they know how to use it and they weren't dying at the rate that they're dying, then it wouldn't be getting the attention that it's getting. It's getting the attention because fentanyl has been mixed into it and they don't know how to take fentanyl and it's so, po- so potent that it's killing them. So, that, that's right. what, and so one, once we, you know, beat this back, is that unless something's done differently uh, about addressing the addiction issue, and we do a better job of dealing with addiction, is that it'll just move on to the next flavor of the day drug. <laughs> it's, it's what's going to happen. Right. It's, it's, it's not a hard concept, and, but, you know, again, it dismays me when people say, oh, my God, we've got this problem, and all of a sudden came up. No, it didn't. <laughs> it's always been here. No, 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 we've always had this problem. <laughs> It's just got a different look right, right now. And you would agree with that too, right, Jason? I mean, Absolutely. And it's actually really refreshing for me to hear someone else say, yeah, it's not just an opiate problem. It's an overall drug problem because the problem isn't just opiates. We've got a methamphetamine problem that's, ju- if, that's just as widespread, if not more widespread than the opiate problem. And most of the people that are coming into treatment now are on both methamphetamine opiates and also benzodiazepines like the, the level of abuse of xanax is absolutely through the roof these days um it seems like it's very popular amongst the young kids and the millennials and so you've got three major epidemics going on and as the sheriff said it's a drug problem it's an overall wide blanket drug problem and the fact of the matter is we do need better more widespread and available methods of treatment to get people through their addictions to handle underlying causes to why they're using drugs in the first place. And that's what's going to get us some headway in dealing with the addiction problem in this country. Yep. Sheriff, does the, um, do drugs present any, oh, this is kind of, I, I'm almost embarrassed to ask some of these questions, but do drugs present any kind of uh, different scenario or added scenario or added difficulty for your deputies when they're out on the streets? In what way? I mean, I mean, as far as I mean, do the drugs present any different problems? Um, well, does does it make their jobs harder when they when with the drug addiction that's out there? Oh, sure. You know, and, and you know, especially as people that are high and the uncertainty that it causes, and and, and when people act out, uh, depending upon the type of drug, it can. It, it, unfortunately, at times we have to engage in you know, uses of force, and it can cause them to have incredible amounts of strength and very difficult to deal with and you can't reason with them and it's very hard to oftentimes de-escalate situations when somebody's on drugs because of what it does and how it alters them. So, you know, the drugs absolutely pose a problem, uh, always have. Right. Yeah, because you don't want them to hurt themselves and you don't want them to hurt others and you don't want them to hurt the officers. So I can I can see how that would be. What do you... What do you... <laughs> How do you address education in terms of drugs in the sheriff's department? 
Well, we try, and you know, we partner with one of the things. So the, you know, the the focus needs to be on prevention, education, and treatment. Uh, you know, law right. enforcement is is never ever going to solve this problem. We can beat the problem back. We can displace the problem. We can temporarily curb it in some respects, but we can never solve it because, again, it's an addiction problem. So the, where the emphasis needs to be is on prevention, education, and treatment. And long term, the best place to start. Uh, is with the young people because right. you know, the people that are already addicted, uh, you can have successes undoubtedly, and we should and we should try. Uh, but one of the things that we place our emphasis on is with the young people and trying to get them uh, from not engaging to begin with, refraining from the use and not becoming addicted. And there's a program here in Pinellas County called NOPE, which is uh, very effective. Uh, narcotics overdose prevention education, um, and we sponsor the local chapter here, and we do a lot of work in the schools throughout the county um, trying to prevent these kids from ever engaging in the drug activity and preventing it that way. So that's probably where our greatest focus is, is with the young people. Yeah, and that makes total sense. And, you know, while you were talking, of course, I'm familiar with PAL and, um, you know, what they do there. And that's just another address to the young people, you know, in general. So that's a great program. I'm not sure I was aware of. Nope. That's good. Uh, Joni, I'd like to mention something. I like what the sheriff said. Is he said that law enforcement isn't going to solve this. And I've heard, you know. It's a little bit late on the chain. Yeah, it. it is. And, you know, there's a lot of. Um, a lot of counties throughout the country that say we're not good. We can't arrest our way out of this problem. And there's the whole debate um, between incarceration or rehabilitation. I was kind of wondering, Sheriff, where do you stand on that? Well, in, in, incarcerating users, okay, small amounts of possession, uh, the addicts is a complete waste of time. It's not accomplishing anything. Uh, and majority of them are just going to be in there. They're going to do whatever time, and they're going to get right back out. If, if, if people come out of the jail, come out of the criminal justice system with nothing different in their toolbox other than that in which they went in, you're going to get the same result. I mean, that's not hard. So, exactly. you know, so arresting people for small amounts of drugs, incarcerating people for small amounts of drugs, to me, is a waste of time. But it is what we do because it's all we got. And until more emphasis is placed on, again, if you will, whatever you want to call it, rehabilitation on education, prevention, on treatment, and treatment that works. You know, right. So, you know, use as an example, you know, in Pinellas County, um, Operation PAR, which is the most, uh, is probably the lar largest drug treatment program in the county. It, it, right. They only got 36 residential beds. I mean, the funding that we, you know, for Marchman Acts, which are uh, taking people into custody for uh, alcohol uh, when they are uh, alcohol abuse and they're at risk uh, to themselves and incapable of self-care because of uh, being alcoholics. There are zero, none, zero state-funded Marchman beds in Pinellas County. None. Wow. And, you know, we're a large county, the most densely populated county in the state. So what do we do? We use the jail. We book about 1,800 people a year into the county jail on the Marchman Act. And all it is is a drunk tank. They don't get any services. They don't get any treatment. They don't get anything. They get booked into the jail. They sober up, and they go out the back door. And then we do it all over again. So, you know, that's the problem. Uh, and and it, people commit collateral crimes because of the drugs. But it, the people who belong in the jail 
for drug-related offenses are the traffickers, the dealers, the people that are pushing their poison on on others uh, because they're trying to make a buck off of somebody else's back. And, but for, for the, uh, small amount, uh, user amounts, locking those people up is a waste of time. You're not going to change the behavior that way. Right. Totally agree. And that's kind of what we've found talking to other people, right, Jason? Yeah, I totally agree with that because, you know, going to jail for a possession, a small possession charge, like you hear, I hear of all the time. And I have these guys that come into the treatment center who are on probation for a heroin possession charge or some sort of narcotics possession. And what, what, what happened was most of them get caught using in their cars away from wherever they're supposed to be getting high. And then the police roll up and they end up getting arrested. And all that seems to happen is that they spend time in jail and they got put on probation, but they didn't get, any kind of rehabilitation because like the sheriff was saying, it, it's pointless to incarcerate a user for small amounts um, in their possession because they're not going to get what they need. And that's long-term treatment. That's figuring out their addiction. That's actually getting help. But, but that's right. where, you know, there are like drug court uh, where uh, uh, people do get treatment that works, but just general right. incarceration without something is accomplishing nothing. Oh, I totally the drug agree. court works and the drug court program works because they are getting treatment in there. So they are put on probation. They are getting treatment and the judge is monitoring them and, and really trying to um, deal with the addiction problem. So there are some things that work, but I mean, just general was the question. I mean, just general arrest and incarceration uh, for personal use amounts and for people who are addicted, that gets you nowhere. It doesn't work. No. Right. Sheriff Wood, what would you, because this podcast, I mean, it, well, it actually goes international, but assuming there are a lot of people in Pinellas County that listen to this podcast, what would be some of, what words of wisdom would you give them about this problem? You could be talking to parents or loved ones or addicts or what have you. What would you say to them? Well, do everything you can to prevent it and look for the signs uh, of people who are uh, going down that path and try the best you can to get them the help they need uh, before they get so far uh, that they reach a, a point of either no return or very difficult to return from. So I think that that's you know, where the, the focus, where the emphasis needs to be. And for those people that are already there, do what you can. But sometimes we can only get some, some you know, get people to a certain point. Uh, uh, but I think that that's what people should be aware of. And also uh, be aware that uh, to do whatever you can to advocate for more, resu- more resources for effective uh, treatment. And we don't have enough. We just simply don't have. And, and most of these people are suffering from co-occurring disorders, uh, meaning uh, alcohol, substance abuse, and mental health issues. And when you got a state like Florida, which is the third largest state in the country, that ranks 50th in the country per capita in mental health funding. No wonder we got what we got. There you go. Yeah, so we're, we're not go. putting enough resources into prevention, education, and treatment that works. It needs to be evidence-based. It needs to be stuff that works and not stuff that just because somebody can you know, uh, open a facility and get funded. It needs to be what's been proven to be effective, and that's what we need to emphasize. Right. Jason, did you have anything else for the sheriff? No, I think that was. I think this was great, and I think the sheriff has some great insights. And you know, 
we at Narcanon are doing everything we can to not only service the local community, but anyone coming from out of state and handle their addiction. And so we have handled lots of people in the local, in the local county. And so we're going to continue to do so. And it's nice to have, nice to have the sheriff that's kind of backing up our purpose and that's handling the addiction problem. Right. Well, thank you so much, Sheriff, for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate getting your perspective. Sure. You're very welcome, and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you, Sheriff. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it was a really good interview. I do too. I think that, you know, he's he's got all the right points that we talk about, which is, you know... it's really true that law enforcement is like trying to, to put the finger in the dam. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) completely. And it's not going to be up to them to handle the addiction problem. It's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to the treatment centers. It's going to be up to places like Narcanon and to things like our podcast that are going to educate the public and hopefully prevent new addictions from happening, but at least it'll educate the people who are listening on what's actually going on, what they can do about it. And then we use the treatment centers to rehabilitate. And, um, I'm very, very, very excited to hear him say that he doesn't believe incarcerating people in possession of small amounts of drugs is the answer to any of this because there's lots of there's lots of cities and towns that do that and they think, well, we put them in jail, it'll keep them away from drugs and they'll keep them away from themselves and they'll have to get clean. Not, and we're not gonna, yeah, not a solution at no, all. We're not going to arrest our way out of the problem. And I'm glad that he's on board with that. I'm glad he sees that. And he sees the people that need to be incarcerated are the traffickers, like the big time dealers who are making, you know, the almighty dollar off the suffering of an addict. Well, good. So you're out of town until Saturday? Is that yes, when you come I back? Yeah, I'll be back on Saturday and uh, I'll be back in the studio on Monday. Perfect. All okay, right. good. Well, Yep. Everybody have a good week. Jason, enjoy the jungle and um, we will talk to you again next week. You got it. I'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 